Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best bits of White and Jordan, our daily talk sports show. On this episode, we discuss today's report from the Black Footballers Partnership, who've claimed that the FA's leadership and diversity code for football has failed. We speak to founder and former Premier League footballer Michael Johnson. Plus, WWE comes to London for the first time in 31 years next month. We're joined in the studio by world champions Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. So much for Declan Rice. That one seems far from over as yet. So does this one. Harry Kane. What do we know about Harry Kane? Bayern Munich have made an offer to Tottenham for Harry. Sources close to the German club have confirmed this. The offer is said to include a basic transfer fee of 60 million quid and several more millions in add-ons. It's understood that Tottenham have put a value of about 100 million on Kane if he is to leave London this uh, summer. Let's get more on this from the German perspective on it. The German football broadcaster, highly respected writer as well, Konstantin Eckner joins us live. Konstantin, good morning to you. I take it it's headline news out there, right? It is. I guess so. I mean, it, it took some by surprise, I guess, uh, because Bayern weren't uh, that heavily linked with uh, Harry Kane, uh, recently at least. Uh, I mean, they were linked with him uh, to him um, last summer, but uh, that died down and, and there weren't many reports about it, but uh, yeah, Bayern um, put it through their channels, basically. It didn't make an official announcement, of, of course, but they put it through their channels that they made a first offer to Tottenham. Also, what they also saying now, um, not officially, but um, through the sources that uh, get in touch with the media, is that they have an agreement with Harry Kane in principle, mm. um, which is, of course, their way of saying that uh, it's now... Uh, for Tottenham to agree to some kind of deal, they may improve the offer because a 60 million pounds is is far too low, and I think they know it. But it's like kind of the old ne- negotiation tactics, right? You 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 start low and and try to settle in the middle. Aha, uh-huh. okay, Constantine, we're hearing that for the first time. Then you're you're telling us that Bayern Munich claim they have an agreement in principle with Kane himself. Yes. 
that's what they are um, putting through their their channels to to the media now is that they have an agreement with Harry Kane. Um, in principle, I mean, of course, there might be some some finer uh, um, prints uh, to make or some finer points to make, but uh, yeah, that's that's what they are saying. Uh, they ha had talks with him last summer. Um, of course, they, at that point, they noticed that they won't get a, a deal done with Tottenham, and it was pointless to pursue a Harry Kane uh, transfer. Uh, it would be a waste of time, uh, basically. Uh, but now they are feeling very confident that they can get something done and of course i mean when they when they put something out there it's also uh, their way of putting pressure on tottenham uh, because tottenham they want 100 million pounds um it might be a bit too high for a player who's who's entering his final uh, contract year on the other hand it's the england and, and spurs captain so of course there, there's also some some value in terms of like who harry kane actually is and represents um so but yeah and it's also it's now up to to the clubs to uh negotiate something and of course harry king can still change his mind and say uh, i want to chase the uh, premier league record and i want to go to manchester united for instance that's interesting constantine danny murphy's alongside simon and myself i mean danny that suggests doesn't it that kane is is, is seriously open to well, leaving I, london I'm, and going to munich if it's true i i'm really pleased i think it'd be a wonderful move for him It'd be a new chapter for him playing in a great league that, that for a team that's full of quality. Um, got a great chance. Well, again, obviously winning winning the league every year, but also got a great chance in Europe. I know City beat them comfortably in the home game, but, it, but for 60, 70 minutes, that was their most competitive yeah. game this season. So what the is Champions it, Dan? League. Is it a step up for him? Well, yeah, because he's got more chance of winning. I was going to ask you, Constantino, regarding the fans... Um, I mean, it may seem like a silly question in, in how they will take to him because he's going to score goals wherever he's a wonderful talent. He'll score goals. I mean more to do with the fact he's English, England captain, uh, that type of, you know, the, the, it's been a long time, hasn't it, since a, a Munich have had a, an English striker or British striker, I should say. Yeah, I, that, that, that's that been a while. I mean, Owen Harcrease was the, the, the last England international who played uh, probably yeah, in midfielder, role at Yeah, yeah, yes. And yeah. I mean, he, he was well Alan liked. Alan McAnally, who was devastatingly good Mark out there. Mark Hughes was there as well, I think. Mark Hughes was there too, yeah. So they've had yeah, one or two constantly. I was thinking about it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, Owen Hawkins was more on the, in the in the in the modern times, so to speak, uh, for, for Bayern, uh, and, and he won he won or he was part of the Champions League uh, winning squad in mm. uh, 2001, and and he was well liked. And I think Harry Kane, um, what he also offers, and I think a lot of people and a lot of fans at, at, uh, from Bayern will like him. Uh, he represents uh, kind of, um, or he's he's a great representative of your club. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a sportsman. He's he's someone who's elite. Uh, led the uh, English national team, um, and he's someone who can represent your your team. And Bayern are always looking for these type of players. Uh, be it someone like Leroy Sané with his background, be it someone like uh, Thomas Müller, who's a true Bavarian, basically someone who's born and bred in Munich or close to Munich at least. And and Harry Kane also. I mean, uh, I I could I could see him be on, on a lot of uh, advertisement walls in in Munich and and across Germany uh, wearing the the Bayern Munich jersey because like why not? I mean, Harry Kane representing your team uh, that's that's something I think a lot of people would accept. And that he's that he's English. I I don't think anyone uh, these days. Uh, uh, any Bayern fan, other than maybe some some old old folks who are, who are behind <laughs> the times, uh, would actually care about that he is from from England or from from Britain. 
Um, I mean, Bayern have a very international team. They have, they at some point had basically an all French uh, backline. So, <laughs> and no one, no one complained about that. There's uh, Rob leaning on me there, Simon. Oh, what an arrogant question! Is it a step up to Munich? Of course it is. Bayern Munich are a huge club, easily top five in the world. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that it is a step up in terms of opportunity because they're a Champions League football club. They're the champions of Germany. They're one of the legacy football clubs. So it makes sense, doesn't it? Well, it makes sense if you take it from that standpoint. If you Again, getting into the head of Harry Kane, first of all, I'm surprised to hear that they would have agreed anything with Harry Kane because I'm not entirely sure they've been given any permission to talk to Bayern Munich. So oh, I was, come on. I was, no, I understand that, but we're talking about what, what his agents may do and what the player may do, and they're two different things. What his agents may agree in principle still requires the player to step in and say, mm. well, I'll actually take that move because whilst I understand your point, but I still think there's many a twist in this. Now, if, if Bayern Munich want him and uh, Tottenham um, don't particularly want to sell him, which I know is the case then they'll have to pay what Tottenham want. And there's precedent for this. What do you think they want, Simon? Well, I think that I think when they start getting north of 80 million quid, I think it would be much more difficult for Daniel to push back against it because he'll be able to give all of that to Postacoglu. And I think Postacoglu will be moderately relaxed, even though the quality of Kane is undeniable. I think there's a style of play that Postacoglu may find Kane struggles at times to, to, to be able to achieve for him, albeit he'll still score oodles Absolute, of goals. No, you're absolutely spot on. Yeah. So with that in mind, I, and I look at this precedent for it. I mean, Eden Hazard was sold to Real Madrid in the last year of his contract, if I'm correct, for 100 million euros, plus add-ons that could take it up to 150 million. So with that in mind, Daniel was well within his right to turn around and buy Munich and say, OK, you want to give it a big one, you want to come in and do this in the public domain, you want to put us under pressure, then put your checkbook on the table and this is what it'll take to do. Yeah. And if you'd want to do that, then you can potentially have our play until then, buzz off and go win your one-horse league. <laughs> well, I mean, Dortmund fought them all the way to the very end, well, didn't they? In fact, Dortmund were in the driving seat at the end. Constantine, one, though, what, what, what does instinct tell you in this? What, what do you think? Can you second-guess it for us about Bayern's thinking this morning? I'm, I'm having still a hard time seeing that transfer going through uh, because like Bayern were also somewhat confident about Declan Rice and then they dropped out of the race uh, when they when they noticed that uh, they had no chance. I think there there's a much higher pro probability to get Harry Kane uh, because they have talked before uh, to him because he is, is in his final contract year and because he's someone who um, I think who wants a trophy or wants to win trophies and especially uh, maybe internationally uh, most importantly I guess. And and so I don't really think he cares about the the Premier League goal scoring record. Uh, I think individual records are not that important in football. Winning trophies, uh, winning the Champions League, um, is much much more important to your legacy as a player and to you personally. Um, I think these records, many people don't really care about them. And I think Bayern are somewhat somewhat confident that they can get something done because. They, as they at least say, is um, that they are uh, kind of um, in agreement with Harry Kane. Yeah. Um, it would be much, much more difficult if they just offer Tottenham a sum of money and then they also have to negotiate uh, from from basically from scratch with Harry Kane. Um, if that's yeah. not the case, if, if there, there's actually truth to this, um, to to this um, now story that uh, they have an agreement with Kane, then um, I think they are feeling much, much more confident because okay. in, in the end they can push something, right? They can they can push sure. the price maybe a bit down, and at some point Spurs have to agree. Otherwise, it goes down to the wire in the transfer window, and Spurs have no uh, chance to uh, sign a replacement for their new incoming head coach. Okay, Konstantin Eckner over in Germany. Thank you very much indeed. So Bayern Munich very much in the mix at the moment for Harry Kane, but a developing story in Declan Rice. It now seems to be a one-horse race. And Arsenal, 
or the horse because it's our understanding here and it's now being widely reported in the last few minutes Manchester City will not match Arsenal's bid for Declan Rice the decision it appears has been made Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. The Black Footballers Partnership have claimed that the FA's leadership and diversity code for football has failed. Uh, the BFP commissioned leading sports economist Stefan Szymanski to analyse the results of this voluntary initiative that the FA introduced back in 2020, which was designed then to improve representation of black coaching staff in the English Premier League and uh, English Football League in general. But it has failed to do so, says the Black Footballers Partnership. Uh, only 29 out of 72 EFL clubs have signed up 70%, in other words, could not even bother to make a commitment to try and improve non-white representation on the coaching staff. While the 20 EPL clubs did sign up, their progress, it has been said, has been patchly, patchy and deeply disappointing. We're joined this morning by Michael Johnson, former Birmingham defender, uh, part of the Black Footballers Partnership. Uh, Michael, thank you for joining us on this show. How disappointed are you uh, by the outcome here? Um, well, first of all, morning, fellas. Morning. Um, Good morning. It's it's disappointing in a in a an era where we see so much. Um, we see so much in terms of racism on the on the field. We see what's happened with Vinicius Junior um, a couple of weeks back. Obviously, recently at the at the Wembley game there with the three boys from Wembley, we see this the data and how that's looking, and of course, there's a, a real disappointment amongst many footballers in terms of opportunities going forward um, and the lack of real movement from the game right across from the EFL right to obviously what we see in the Premier League now. So, you know, we've come together, we've had some real strong discussion about how can we move this agenda, how can we partner with the game to try and improve the game for all. Are, are you very much in the camp, Michael? It should all be about quotas. And only if quotas come about, then that would bring about a fairer representation, both on the field, but uh, behind the scenes as well. And in terms of management, certainly. Is that is that the case? Is that your thinking? I think we're all just asking for a real transparent game in terms of the best, the best people should get the best roles, regardless of the colour of your skin and yes, the gender. Yes, yeah. But what we're what we're seeing and the data quite clearly shows is that that's not adding up. You've got forty three percent of black players in the Premier League, thirty four percent down in the Championship. Yet when you look right across the games, you're looking less than five percent in management. That's probably got worse as we've seen. Um, Ince lost lost his job, and um, Darren Moore's lost his job. Vieira's lost his job, and then you're looking at executive roles at one point six. So when you look at the data it quite clearly shows that there's an uphill task here. I mean, it, when you look at it, your view is that black players are not given a fair chance when it comes to moving into management. But Simon, you will continually tell us mm. that in your time at Crystal Palace, and Simon's on record as saying this, Michael, this isn't new, in your time at Palace, am I right in thinking? When you needed a new manager through the door, yeah. you, you didn't have one black applicant. No, I didn't. No, um, in a club that had multi-ethnicity at its centre, 
um, and I had executive positions. My finance director was from the Asian community. Um, my my uh, uh, my academy assistant academy director was black. My head of the FITC was black, but I never received an application from a black manager. And the question I always push back on and debate and want to have the debate with, right, is when we look at the representation figures are what they are, right? That's a fact. We, there's yeah. no debate about that. But the reasons why these representation figures are the things that we need to debate. And we need to get facts in order. When we talk about 43% of the Premier League being made up of black players, we also have to, or players of ethnicity, we also have to remember that of that 43%, 50% of those players are overseas players that tend to go back to their own country. So when we're dealing with the statistics, we need to deal with the right statistics. And we need to make sure that the argument starts on a proper footing. And then we look at the, the qualification of coaches and we look at the situation where only 13% of coaches coming through with their badges are from the black community and we have to ask ourselves, okay, is that a statistic that needs to be improved and why is that level of coaching coming from that particular ethnicity? I always struggle, I have to be honest. When, we, when we're trying to make things not about colour, I always struggle when an organisation delineates itself or denotes itself by being the Black Footballers Partnership or something of colour because I think we're trying to make it not about colour we're trying to make it about meritocracy. And if I were a, a football club owner now, I'm not entirely sure. First of all, I believe in equal opportunity. I believe in meritocracy. So do you, though, And Michael, I had a very right? long conversation with John Barnes in a podcast where John Barnes spoke to me about the challenges that he had as a football manager and how he felt that the opportunities that he had were denied primarily because there was a resistance to him because of his colour. And then I asked him a question. I, I employed 10 managers over my 10-year period and I was regularly looking for new managers. None of the managers I ever employed, I ever knew. Why didn't you pick up the phone to me and say to me, I'd like to put my hat in the ring? I mean, Michael, can you enlighten us as to why there would be an apparent, going by Simon's argument, uh, an apparent lethargy amongst uh, uh, potential black applicants to step up and say, Simon Jordan, I'm the man for you at Crystal Palace. Get behind me. Um, and, I, and I hear your points, and I recently listened to that um, podcast. Very interesting, by the way, Simon. Yeah, he was very um, good, John. He was what, very good. What, what I would what I would say is that um, if we go back through the history of it, that you know, 10, 15 years ago, I don't think there was a many a many initiatives as to what there are in place now. There was a real reluctance from many that you know, what is the point? You know, I still hear certain players right now saying, okay, what is the point? We have got um, 40% uh, of our pro license holders at the minute with 23, oh, 23 holding other badges, 23% holding other badges, whether that's an A license, whether that's an academy manager. There's also initiatives around governance. There's a new governance course that has been put in place to allow people from all walks of life to access the boardroom to add that valuable knowledge what we see missing within the boardroom so there are initiatives in place but what we don't see right across the board is that um that real understanding and that real um insight into the difficulties that certain players face this is not oh this is not new news this has been going on for for, for decades this this conversation but how can people upstairs understand the nuances of what's going off if there's nobody at leadership that looks and, re and represents me, I heard Raheem Sterling say the same, that, you know, how can I be something if there's nobody upstairs within the Premier League for me to achieve that? So... For yeah, but Michael, what do you say to that, mate? When, when 
when a, let's say for, for argument's sake, a former black player who's gone into management says to you, do you know what, Michael, there's no point in me applying for a job at X Club because I'm not going to get near it, Not probably not no, even get an interview. What do you say, Michael? It's the reverse, and that's why this group's come together because we want to encourage those to stay in the game. We want to encourage uh, those youngsters to be the... The, the Paul Bills. We want to encourage the Justin Cochrans that's doing so well at Brentford. We want to encourage those young up-and-coming coaches that there is a route, there is a pathway. You are unfortunately one who's going to have to break through and try and be that one that everybody says, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And at the moment, we don't see enough of that right across the right across the game. Simon, how do we fix this? Can I just ask quickly before I'm just a bit confused. Is this diversity code, Michael? Is it? Is it something that clubs are expected to sign up to uh, um, yeah. an outcome where 25% of all new coaching hires and 10% of senior coaching hires ought to be black, Asian, or mixed heritage? Yeah, because you were what... saying you weren't saying about quotas before. Where well, you weren't you weren't on that page. So that again, Dan. Well, the, what I'm reading here is that the targets which specified at 25% of all new coaching hires and 10% of senior coaching hires ought to be black, Asian or of mixed race, uh, mixed heritage. Is that is that what the diversity code is suggesting to the people that yeah, sign that's up? The FA, that's the FA's diversity code, what they've put in place to try and yeah. move this thing around. Okay. And you say that's failing. You say that's failing. Well, I mean, will, what, what's this FA code always, always the FA code will fail, fail it, Well, it will fail. If you're asking certain people, because not everybody agrees that you should be giving roles out by quotas and not who's best for the job. Yeah. What you're asking someone to do who owns a million pound business and is a football club is to give somebody a job based and agree to a quota rather than having the capability and flexibility to give somebody a job who's best, the best for the job, which is what Dan, Michael I, was saying earlier. That, and that's ideally what you'd want, Dan, is for it just to be a fair and transparent process. Yeah. Uh, but but again, but Michael, your, your statistics are the beginning of a conversation, not, not the end of it. And so when we look at the representation, if we look at the argument that I often encounter, because I push back against the notion, if I had a black manager sat in front of me, first of all, I wouldn't see colour. I'd only see someone's capability. Right? And if they could do the job, I wouldn't care what colour they were. And that's what, the point I was making with John Barnes. Yeah, and but we what do... Michael's saying, not everybody's you, are they? No, I understand. That's well, exactly I, what I, but I'm here's my say, point. Dan. I've sat around 90% of the boardrooms in this country and I've sat with people that have like-minded mentalities to me and most of us football managers wouldn't care who was employed in our dugout as long as we can win football games. Let me just finish the point, Michael. The argument is that people suggest that you only employ what looks like you. Well, that doesn't seem to work when you've got a Pakistani ownership model in... Fulham that doesn't employ a Pakistani manager or you've got an Arabic ownership in Man City that doesn't employ Arabics or you've got a, a Greek owner uh, in uh, Nottingham Forest and on and on and we go. It really is about people looking around at what they think is best in class and the example with John Barnes was a really bloody good example because John didn't want to avail himself of an opportunity. If he'd have picked the phone up to me and said, Look, I'm John Barnes, I'd like to have an interview with you, he'd have sat down with me and he'd have got a job if he was good enough and not if he wasn't. And there were many, many people like me, like-minded like me. That's why 35% of English Premier, of English football clubs in this country have employed a black manager, whether it be Chris Ramsey, whether it be Paul Lintz, whether it be Keith Alexander once upon a time, whether it be Darren Moore, um, whether it be... A variety yeah, of other managers yeah, that I can pull yeah. off the top of my head. Okay, um, and so the dynamic is that there's not enough people Michael, wanting to do the job. Finney, we'll give uh, you the last word on this, Michael, and it has to be the last word. We're going up to eleven o'clock bulletin. Where does this go from here, Michael? Where do you want it to go from here? 
Well, the, the group's called the, the, the Partnership, Football's Black Partnership, and it's around getting the partnership with the game. We want This is not a group that is being radical or any. It's trying to partner with the game to help the game understand and listen to our experiences, what players, coaches, managers are feeling. And without that connection, without that understanding, it's really difficult to get the research, what Simon talks about, the data, from the game, we want to partner with the game to so that they can try and understand what's going on and what the players and coaches are feeling. Absolutely, Michael Johnson, Absolutely. of course, uh, the Black Footballers Partnership. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. The three of us has become the five of us. Um, a huge event coming up uh, here in the UK, in London at the O2 on Saturday. We are talking about a massive event in the WWE. Let me tell you, two superstars, husband and wife team of the WWE are in studio with us right now. Seth freaking Rollins and Becky Lynch. It is a very warm welcome to Talk Sport. Good morning. How are you both? Doing Fantastic. great. Yeah. yeah, we just got off the plane a, a few hours ago, but we got some coffee in our bellies and we're feeling spry. Fantastic. You've come straight here, have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We landed at 6.30 this morning from New York City last night. We were in New York doing today's show and ESPN yesterday, and here we are with you guys today talking money in the bank, talking all things WWE. You are indeed. This is what it's all about. There Simon, it is. Simon oh, Jordan is. knows all about money. This fella, Seth, was once worth 100 million quid. He still could be, for all I know, money in the bank. Wow. What is this all about? How do you begin to explain it? So let me explain it because I'm going to be in the money in the bank ladder match. And so, right, the object of the game is you have to climb a ladder and retrieve the briefcase. When you retrieve the briefcase, in there is a contract that you can cash in at any time for the championship. So you can have a championship match any moment. 
at any moment. So that means that the champion could be down and out, knocked unconscious, and you can call your shot right there and then. So it's very, it's very, very exciting. Just to um, clarify, while you you don't get a free. Uh, pathway up to get you up don't the ladder. get a free no, pathway. No, the, no, no. That's the catch. There is catch. there is a ladder match, and so so we're talking six bodies, six <laughs> six six bodies in this match. A bunch of ladders strewn all over the, the ring, and it's a race to the top. It, and it's a race to the top. But you know, well, everybody's trying to bash you into ladders. Well, so. listen, this this is the first London-based WWE event in 31 years, Money in the Bank at the O2 on Saturday. These events, I mean, Becky, and your husband and wife team are going to get to that shortly. These events are enormous, aren't they? And there is no holding people back. The clamour for WWE in this country is enormous, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's huge. It's huge. We have we have such a big following internationally. But uh, for, for me, this is a special one because I, I'm from Ireland and I started when I was 15 years old. So we're talking 21 years ago. And I would come over to England and I would do these summer camps in Kent. There was a, a place called Hammerlock. NWA UK and I would come over I'd fly into Heathrow stand by my mom was a flight attendant so we got the we got the cheap airfare good and for uh, mom <laughs> good <yeah>. for mom <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and I get the cha- the train down um, and, uh, and and train there and to think that I would ever be in the WWE was just so beyond the realm of possibility <laughs> so to be able to be back here and performing in um, in the money in the bank at a premium live event it's just it's mind-blowing mind it it's huge simon the, oh, massive. The, you know the following is, is no, huge massive. out there when you look it? at people like vince mcmahon and their initiatives and from the and you look at the, the genesis of people like you know gorgeous george that influenced people like muhammad ali to come out with his shtick you know we've had you know big daddy and giant haystacks and <laughs> Mick McManus, but these guys are a different gravy these guys are a different gravy well i what? used to my oldest boy i mean i took him when he was young and i've also taken my younger son in previous years and I was completely gobsmacked by the amount of numbers and the excitement and uh, seeing what some grown adults were doing oh, at these man. events. I Our, was like, what is going? It's, yeah. they're, they're crazy Our for fan it. base is, oh, they're one of a kind, man. There's Amazing. nothing like them. They are so passionate about what we do at WWE and professional wrestling as a whole. I mean, they, they make it really special Saturday at 02 is going to be like molten hot it's going to be wild (laughs) can you let us into this Seth I mean is it all choreographed in fine detail well, no, it's not. And it depends on the event, you know. It depends on what we're working with here. It's it's a it's a mix of choreography and improvisation. Mm. So we're artists in the sense that we're on a stage and we're performing. So it's kind of like theater in the round in the sense that, you know, we've got to perform for all, all sides. But we're also athletes kind of doing our own stunts, taking falls, you know, at danger all the time. But there's like this element of interaction with our audience where you can never, because they're such a big part, they're a character in the play themselves, you never know what you're going to get. You know, when you get to a certain level, you can kind of assume, and that's what you plan for, but you never know. You never know what you're going to get when out when you get out there, and you have to be able to adapt. And so you have to be able to work with them to get that kind of ebb and flow and find that perfect synergy to really take your match, take your story to the next level. And speaking of Saturday, there's an extra element of the ladders because you never know what those things are going to do they sometimes have a mind of their own you know? oh really yeah 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 because you know you're getting thrown into them and so yeah. so you want to climb one but next thing you know it's all broken and bended up and so you got to get rid of that one and find a new one so yeah do, yeah, do you have any degree of wild. trepidation going into it or you just you just literally yes. throw yourself Somewhat. into it <laughs> 
No, no. I, I mean, mean, do you do you second guess yourself going into an event like this? All, Seth? Always, always. I mean, you've been in a bunch of them. I've been in a bunch of them. The ladders are dangerous, man. I mean, there's no, there's no like you're not pulling the ladders. When you fall onto a ladder or you fall off a ladder, you're falling from an extra six feet and an extra eight feet, or you're falling onto solid steel. Like there's just no bones about it. And so anytime you go out there and you know that that's the task at hand, you're 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 nervous. I mean, there's an extra element of nerves. But you mentioned kind of the the rabid fan. Base. I mean that adrenaline rush. It's like a drug, man. It's like a shot. Have, have you been here before and, and competed over here before in London? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been over so, here for over a decade. What's now. the difference in reaction from the audience? You've got this rabid fan base in America that's committed and indexed <laughs> to the sport. I don't mean rabid in terms of loons, yeah. but in terms of focused, <laughs> right? are diseased. Um, but is there a difference, or is it just you get the same reaction? No. What do you? It's think? a good question. Oh, gosh, it is, it's a great question. It's a great question. I think there is the extra element of of distance. Like we're not on hand here all the time, so it's it's more of a rare occasion. So I think you get an extra element of excitement mm. because we're not here all the time. It's more of a yeah, rarefied yeah. space. It's a that we're over for you. Here. Exactly. A lot yes. of people will be here to see you. I mean, you know, I would have thought you. There's great excitement that you're in town, Becky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's 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 fun. You know, we're just across the pond. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I have, you know, like I was I was performing in front of thirty people. Maybe if we were lucky when I was 15, 16, 17. And uh, to be able to go out there in front of, I don't know how many people are going to be there on Saturday. Yeah, 17, 18,000 18, is just... Yeah, everywhere you go on the stage, you're, you're, you're massive. You're superstars, aren't you? Uh, do you? Are you relaxed in the knowledge that this thing is consumed by so many people? Yeah, I think so. I mean, gosh, we've both been doing it at such a high level for such a long time. I, I think there are instances where you, you get struck by how, I guess, big of a deal you are, even in your own little kind of circle. Kind of a big deal. Well, you know what I mean? I, I'm not trying to... That's what we all want to be, right? But at the end of the day, that. at the end of the day, you're 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 still just this kid who kind of grew up, and you know, for you was Dublin. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest in the states, and so like I'm still that kid at heart, and I I I don't know that that's ever gonna go away. So I'm never gonna feel like that dude who's on a poster on a billboard or main eventing a sold out O2. Like I'm never gonna feel that way. So there's always kind of that element of humility that goes along with it. it you have to really like. You know, for example, I mentioned that the media in New York the other day, we were outside the Today Show and there's just people showing up. I don't even know how they knew we were going to be there, but they're there asking for autographs and taking pictures and we're there in New York. And it's moments like that where you go, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I put a post on my Instagram. <laughs> was my uh, but I think I think part of it is that you, you never really have time to digest it because we're 52 weeks a year. Sure. We're constantly yeah. going. Yeah. So you just move and you're, what, what's the next town? What's the yeah. next story? What but are we doing here? you're a husband and wife team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is, is talk of WWE banned at home? Absolutely not. I no. Wish. No, no. We can't. You can't shut it off yeah. because she mentioned there's no off season. You just live it. You breathe it. And to be super successful in this gig, you, you kind of have to. There's no other way to do it. And for each of us to have reached essentially the pinnacle of our, our sport, like, we have to live it, breathe it, think about it all the time. It's yeah. just it's part of a it's part of our life. And so yeah, we all well, we do is it's all about this on Saturday night, isn't there it? There it is. It's man. all about money in the bank. So Seth, um if you wanna take it away, what can we expect? Becky, if you want to tell us as well, what can we expect then from the show? Dude, it's just gonna be like I said, molten hot crowd you're gonna get some of the best sports and entertainment bar none and if you just want to go there to people watch you're gonna get that in spades because it's a party it, i mean it's gonna be 
just athleticism, entertainment, drama, comedy, emotion, all of these things kind of wrapped into one, and that's what we do at WWE. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show.